0: This is Jonathan Martin, and you're listening to the ZeitCast. Well, 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 where do we begin? (laughs) To say that a lot of life is coming at me fast, or maybe I'm coming at life fast right now. I'm not sure how that would even work. Um, It's kind of an understatement. It is wild. Um, Some of my rhythm historically... I'm quite sure now has to do with my very ADHD brain which I'll talk some about but also I do think that there is a there's something real something substantial about seasons grace of certain seasons and it's always kind of seemed like for me either everything is happening or nothing is happening and well this is a time when everything is happening um, there's this little phrase that I hone in on towards the end of the new book. Uh, this Emmaus Rhodes story. This phrase that they talk about all these things that had happened. And I love that phrase because I feel like it's heavy. Feel like it's pregnant with so many things. All these things that had happened. There's just the sense of you don't even know the half of it. And all these things have happened. I got married. That's a pretty big deal. Got married in New Orleans, and uh, which is my favorite city in the world, the city that I dream in. Uh, so you'll be hearing a lot more about that in the next couple episodes. Excited about actually recording a few episodes with Nicole, uh, whom I know a lot of you know and love, but I want you to come to know in kind of a different way. Let me get right down to the meat and potatoes though, of what I'm doing tonight, which I am recording late night, the way these things often happen. Uh, Stella's at my feet on a blanket and you can hear the fan and the distance in the background I'm not trying to turn any of those things off hey this is real life this is me um, while uh, Joel still jumps in on audio stuff here and there uh, he's a very busy man I don't impose on him and Nicole is uh, kind of stepping into some of the video stuff we'll be doing these episodes are produced by me so I can take all the blame Uh, For squeaks and squawks and things don't sound amazing, these episodes are produced by me. So here you go. But I will tell you that what I'm about to share with you uh, is some content that's real special to me. A couple weeks ago, uh, Sunday before last, I was speaking at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. That's, of course, where my dear friends, Brian and Perry Zahn, Pastor, I know they're special people to a lot of us. Um, Certainly been elders in my life people that I love and respect. I think you're about to hear me say a bit of that in the introduction, so I don't mean to overcook a thing, but I love them a lot, and I didn't know until right before going into it that I was going to have some books early. It just felt like the the right place to start this journey, to start the road, as it were, formally. So I wanted to share that with you. You know, In this incarnation of the podcast, I had the thought before of not Because there's a lot in me to do right now, and maybe it feels like more so than ever, and I didn't want it to just be sermons. But you know what? i got some sermons right now, y'all. I know that some of my favorite work of Frederick Buechner's were like these books where they were sort of uncollected pieces. You'd have some sermons, and you'd have some essays, and then some sort of essay-ish things, fragments of thoughts, whatever. Yeah, right now I seem to have some sermons. You know, uh, I think that as I talk about somewhere in here, I think this idea that comes from my tradition of testimony, there really is something about telling your story. There's a lot of my story right now to tell, and I think there's a lot in this Emmaus Rhodes story um, that's telling on all of us and is telling about us in ways that... I'm still unpacking more and more all the time. So as you'll see, uh, Joel actually was joking with me about how he's the only person I know like you would go on like a book tour and feel like every talk needs to be something different (laughs) because as far they have been wildly different. Uh, So if uh, some of the first couple minutes sounds like riffs that you've heard, I think you'll also see um, the sense of discovery, the sense of surprise that I felt in these last few talks, that sense of spirit. Um, Nicole talks about the sense of suspense she has. Uh, maybe the more the, as she knows me, because I think she really gets the idea. You know, it's like the, the suspense. The suspense is definitely actual when I have no idea where I'm going. So, I'm like, so the ending's always a surprise to me. I don't know if that's good, uh, but this is where I am. Uh, still Pentecostal to the core, I guess. At any rate, uh, this was a fun journey. I hope it speaks to you. Hey, I don't want to clutter this, so I'm not going to come back around in the end. So let me just say all the things. I am so thankful. For those of you who are patrons who have been so patient and supportive, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. Could not do this without you. I'm so grateful. Right now in particular with the book coming out, anything that you can do in terms of liking, um, sharing, uh, subscribing, all of that is a really big deal. Uh, With the book, if you can write reviews, you know all the stuff. Those things really do help. They mean a lot to me. I don't take any of it for granted. I don't take any of you for granted. And I hope that this message that I preached from Word of Life will speak to you uh, right where you are. So the next voice you'll hear will be that of our good friends, Brian, uh, our good friend Brian Zahn. Um, then you'll hear the sermon. I actually decided to leave a bit of the liturgy uh, in at the end because as somebody uh, who's been on this sacramental journey with Brian and his approach to liturgy and uh, has been so fresh and so formative for me, it just felt good. It felt good for me to listen to that liturgy again and to have that in me it's part of my rhythm so left it in love y'all thanks for being on this ride with me thanks for being on the road with me welcome back to the zeitcast
1: well i told you i had a surprise for you today if you if you were here on time and you probably weren't (laughs) jacob already told you what the surprise It's it's a six foot five inch surprise by the name of jonathan martin Yes, our good friend Jonathan Martin is here And I I invited Jonathan for this reason Uh, You could say it's May 15th I know lots of graduation exercises are happening today And so, (laughs) hello online (laughs) Uh, You could say it's May 15th But it's also the fifth Sunday of Easter And I just want to stress that, you know Easter's not one day, it's a seven-week season. And we just lean into Easter and we think about Easter and the implications and all of that. And I love the resurrection stories. Some of the very, very best parts of the Bible. Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. She supposed he was the gardener. It's a great story. Jesus appearing to the disciples in the upper room. Peace be with you. A week later, appearing in the upper room, Thomas, come on, Thomas. Touch my hands, touch my side. Great story. Jesus having breakfast by the sea. They didn't recognize him. Children, have you had any fish? No. Right side of the boat. And he has breakfast with them. Maybe, though, maybe, maybe my favorite is the Emmaus Road story. Those two disciples walking with Jesus, not knowing who he is. Why are you so sad? Oh, don't you know about the things about Jesus? Oh, really? What things? <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of comedy underneath it, and it's a beautiful story. And Jonathan is about to release come on what's the release date? June 7th. June 7th, he has a new book coming out, "The Road Away from God." I've read this book. And here I'm just going to read you what I have to say about this book. In this timely and well-written book. Jonathan Martin joins us for a long walk on the Emmaus Road, which these days is crowded with disappointed and disillusioned people forlornly trudging away from the high hopes they once held for the Christian faith. But Jesus is full of surprises and doesn't give up on any of us, even the most despairing. Martin patiently reminds us of this beautiful truth as he gently whispers how the road away from God can become the road back home. I am grateful for the help and hope this book will bring to so many. And so since he's written a book on this, I thought, and it's Eastertide, I thought, Jonathan, come preach on this. And he, this book doesn't come out until June 7th, but, but he, he has some, and they're out in the foyer. And I, I loaded up my SUV and dropped them off this morning. <laughs> and so you're like the first people on planet Earth to be able to have this book. And you got it when? Friday. Friday. <laughs> Today is Sunday. Jonathan got them Friday, and you're the first people. My son Aaron said, "I'm going to buy them up all. I'm going to buy them all up and put them on eBay, because <laughs> it's not available except it's available here. And Jonathan will be out in the foyer uh, afterwards, and you can get those books. But that, now I'm getting ahead of myself. What we want to do is hear the word of the Lord from our brother and friend Jonathan Martin. So please welcome him, Jonathan Martin, as he comes to talk to us this morning. Amen. God bless you, Jonathan. I love
0: you, friend.
1: Amen. Blessings.
0: Well, good morning, Word of Life. So, I want you to hear this and know just how much I mean it, because I feel like preacher types always say they're glad to be anywhere. You have no idea how happy I am to be here. This is... Sincerely, one of my favorite churches in the world, one of my favorite places to be in the world. Brian and Perry Zahn are two of my favorite humans in the world it 's what I say about them behind their backs as well. Um, it is really, really special to be back here. I, I feel like since I was here last, um, everything from and I know is that you know the last two I guess in person watered wine gatherings, but so much has happened actually in the Emmaus road text that 's a line, right you know it's all Uh, All these things that have happened. I mean, the pandemic has happened, and it feels like there's no like sense of time. So many things happen in the world. So many things have happened in me, and this is truly one of the places where I feel most at home. Which, by the way, is a lot of what I'll be talking about today is sense of home, finding a sense of home, looking for a sense of home. So I'm really, really grateful to to be here. I was driving from Oklahoma yesterday. I love Oklahoma. I love my people in Oklahoma. It is prettier here. These last couple hours of that drive, which are not interstate, oh, it was just gorgeous. And I was thinking, I was just thinking how grateful um, that I really am. I want to say, I'm not trying to do the the thing, I know we need to get down to business, but Brian and Perry, uh, not only are our dear friends, they're elders in my life that I really look to. Uh, I don't recall ever saying the sentence about anybody before in like church leadership they are people that I look at everything about their trajectory in their lives and therefore the way that they've led this church. And I can see how they all the shifts and moves that they've made, I say, wow, they've done all of that because of Jesus. Like, that's actually because of Jesus. Like, they're just following Jesus. And I admire that so much. Um, I know in the acknowledgments of this book, Brian, I, which you wouldn't have even seen because um, even though you read the book, that was before and have acknowledgments, I think the thing I say specifically about you there is that you're the person in the world who most makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when I'm around, around Brian, I'm just like, I feel like everything's going to be all right. Just his presence makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. And Perry's such a wise soul. I'm just, uh, I'm just really, really glad to, to be here. So um, we'll get right down to it. Uh, it is wild, by the way, how this worked out. So uh, the new book is about the Emmaus road. I'm not trying to do like a sales pitch. I don't really do sales pitches for things. No one lets me. I have this over earnest thing that makes me a terrible salespeople. So, you know, it's like, shut up. You know, if I give an offering, it will come out like, hey, just don't worry about giving an offering. So there, are like, just don't take up the offering, please. But I will tell you, it's, it's pretty wild about the book because it, it doesn't come out till June 7th. And the last thing I heard even a couple weeks ago from the publisher, we were thinking with supply chain issues, we wouldn't have it until right at book release if that. So then when I found out like kind of zero hour that I was going to have them on Friday just in time to bring here, I really didn't know that. So that really is, uh, it's very cool to be, feel like I'm home court territory and get to share it with you all for the first time. So, I mean, I haven't got to send a copy to my parents yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one has a copy of the book yet. So it's really cool to have him here in St. Joseph. I'm in New Orleans, and Alma, Arkansas, in the next couple weeks. So unless you're here, or New Orleans, or Alma, Arkansas, nobody else in the world gets it until June 7th. So (laughs) exclusive to to Word of Life. That seems seems really fun. So we're going to get to this text, and... um, there's so much I want to do here. This, um, this story, and I will tell you before we read the passage together, because this is actually, um, I feel like I'm talking about a lot of favorite things. This is truly my favorite story in scripture. And I don't know if you get to be this biased about one passage, but, you know, I have ADHD and I'm prone to overstatement probably in many ways. But I feel like the road to Emmaus contains every story. Like the Garden of Eden is in this story. It's like a recapitulation of everything you get in all of Scripture. There's almost no human story that matters that I can't find in the road to Emmaus in some way. It's truly my favorite story. So I've spent a lot of time here. If you've ever heard me speak before or listened to me before, you know. uh, I talk about it all the time. Now, what I'm going to attempt to do this morning in the spirit of a lot of things being new is talk about some things about this text I've never talked about before. Um... I'm going to rapidly skip through some content that I get into in the book that feels sort of criminal to skip through. Uh, but I want to share some things that are really kind of hot off the presses here and just uh, just felt right. In fact, um, we loosely, because the book's called The Road Away From God, we were just going to call the sermon Road Away From God. I was emailing this week, like with Jake was like, yeah, what's well, us The Road Away From God. And when we were praying and did communion Uh, backstage before, Jacob sort of cavalierly said, uh, and Jonathan's going to be preaching about the road away from home. I mean, the road away from God. And I was like, oh, that feels prophetic. I think the sermon is more about the road away from home. Because, and I'm not trying to be a mind reader here, not trying to get in televangelist mode, but I'm going to try a a statement out on y'all. And this is so general, it probably does fall in the vicinity of, there's someone out here who occasionally has back pain. <laughs> someone out here has had a headache in the last 365 days. You know, here, here, I feel like I can say this pretty confidently. I don't think there's a person listening or watching right now that isn't wrestling on some level with the sense of homesickness. I don't know much of anybody who really feels at home or who feels at home for long. I feel like with almost no exceptions, everybody that I know is in some kind of a place of transition. And I don't mean like they're on a road trip. I mean transition. I mean, who among us is not unsettled? Who among us does not feel like we're between two places? Also, if you don't feel unsettled, who are you? What the heck is wrong with you? And why aren't you paying attention? (laughs) Who feels settled? Who feels at home? I don't know precisely where you are, but I know this much. You're a long way from where you come from. You're a long way from home. I know enough, and it's part of what I love about the journey of this church, to know that this church is a long way from where it's come from. Same in some ways, in that it was always about Jesus, it was always about the Holy Spirit, Well, we're going to go where the Holy Spirit tells us to go. It's what I say to a lot of people who've loved me well in my life over time, who I know question some things now. It's like, y'all are the ones who taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit. If you wouldn't have taught me how to pray, then I wouldn't be going going and doing these things now that you don't approve of. But you know, sometimes that's what it's looked like. Uh, God is the exodus, uh, the God of the exodus, the God who's always on the move. Things change. So everybody's in some place of transition. Everybody has that sense of Being between two homes, homes—that's in some ways, that's the human condition. I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. But so many people I know in particular wrestle with some sense of disillusionment, some sense of displacement. Some of it because the place that we are in spiritually is very different than what we believe, what we think about things has shifted a whole lot. Sometimes even when you find a new community, Uh, As maybe for some of you, this is where some of these ideas like, oh, I thought this way for a while. And now I feel safe because I'm with a community of believers where we can talk about these things openly. But it still feels weird because it's so different from where you from where you come from. And everybody I feel like these days, goodness, I I mean, I, you know, um, 100 percent of statistics that is used in a pulpit are made up. I want you to know that right now. You've never heard a statistic in a pulpit that wasn't made up. People make them up on the fly all the time. But if I were gonna make up a statistic that sounds about right, I would say 90% of probably the people I know in my life are actively wrestling with the question like, should I stay or leave my current church? Should I stay or leave my current denomination, my tradition? I don't know almost anybody in my world who's not wrestling with some question of like, where is home? So I I, I want to, I'm saying all that as an awful lot of context to frame what you're about to read. Because when we get to Luke 24, verse 13, let's go there together. We read, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And that's all we get. Not one of the Gospels give even gestures towards the exact reason for this little trip. So there's all kind of speculation. Could these disciples actually live in Emmaus and they're walking towards their homes? Or is Emmaus towards their homes? We know this much, and I feel like I can say this with confidence. Literarily speaking, Jerusalem is is home theologically. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is the center of the universe for a Jewish person. This is where all the action happens. And so now the same place where the temple is, the same place that is the, uh, the orienting point, really, for everything about their faith, but their life, intellectually, spiritually, all those things, is now the crime scene where they've seen Jesus of Nazareth murdered. So they're walking away in despair, they're walking away in disillusionment. It's why I call this book The Road Away From God, because I'm convinced these two disciples, so far as they know, think they're not just walking away from Jerusalem, they're walking away from God. We thought he was the one, we thought he was the Messiah, but now Jesus has been crucified. Here's the part where I'm skipping through things that matter a lot to me, Um, so work with me, and know there's more in the book, but we'll go quickly. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, "What are you discussing with each other while you walk along?" They stood still, looking sad. And Brian already gestured here, I thought, and I love, um, I love how you put this. It, it truly is one of the great comic moments in the New Testament. I don't know that's reading in the text, I think it's actually what's there. Because, of course, they're having uh, you know, kind of a pity party. Well, in, in more seriousness, they're discussing the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to them. And they have the same experience many of us have had, that it's precisely in sharing our trauma and our pain that something really holy happens that in the vulnerability of sharing the traumatic thing that happened in the crucifixion of Jesus, God starts walking alongside them and they don't recognize it. And then they start telling Jesus about the guy who was just tortured and crucified to the person that has holes in his hands and in his side. And Jesus in this wonderful kind of Monty Python kind of moment, I really do read it that way, or like really awkward human like uh, like the office, are you the only person who hasn't heard the things that happened in Jerusalem? What things? <laughs> Whatever do you mean? And so they begin to, to fill him in. They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. Isn't that the most heart? breaking phrase you've ever heard. We had hoped. You hear the past tense there? We had hoped. We used to hope, but now we don't. We used to have these dreams, but now all that's gone. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Oh, I'm skipping so much stuff that I love. I'm going on. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and he starts blazing from Genesis all the way through the blues of the Psalms and the sultriness of the Song of Songs, and all the way down through the prophets from the margins, he starts blazing through these texts as if he wrote them as if he's speaking from the inside of them. He interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Verse 28, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, as if. So if it's not clear Jesus is being playful, this is where we know he's really trying to punk the disciples here. As if he's winding them up, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. I love those moments that come where there's some, something we recognize that's beautiful, something of the magic. And we, there's just, we don't know yet that it's God. We don't know to recognize that it's Jesus, but there's something in us that says, I I want this to last a little while longer. Can you Can we just linger here? Can you stay with us a little while longer? And it's as they have this meal together. He goes in and stays with them. And when he's at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them. And then, as we'll take communion in just a few moments. Oh, I hate that phrase. We'll receive communion in just a few moments. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. I should have known I'd do this. It's so hard for me not to camp out on all the different things in the story that I love. But here's the thing that's really hitting me kind of over the head this morning. This whole relationship to home, this whole question, which I think is the, ain't really the universal question, is it possible to go back home? Is it possible? The disciples, I mean, they go back to Jerusalem, but in a very different way we see all throughout the story of Jesus that Jesus has kind of an ambiguous relationship towards home himself. When he's 12 years old, he doesn't come home with his parents when he's supposed to. I always find it funny, by the way, that Jesus is, uh, of course, considered sinless, but he sure upsets his mom and dad here. They certainly thought he was supposed to come home because, you know, they fuss at him. He stays in Jerusalem. And they see him there engaging with the teachers, and he's asking questions and teaching. And oh, they think that's wonderful. Quick footnote, by the way, some of you might know that experience when you're younger, asking questions and engaging stuff in church, and people think it's really cute. You get a little older, start doing the same stuff, and people want to crucify you. That's kind of one. That's that's the way it goes. Listen, they're challenged by these things. They get back to Jesus. Where have you been? I've been scared to death. He didn't go home when he was supposed to then. But then he goes back home with his parents from Jerusalem. So we see him both leaving home. The very story of scripture starts with God telling a man named Abraham, go and leave, leave the country of your father. Every great story in scripture and history begins with somebody having to leave home. Everybody has to leave the country of their father. Everybody, that's the way you find out who you are. Jesus has to leave home but we also see him go back home and he's not going back home in some kind of like servile, act of acquiescence. It's an act of surrender that, okay, I'll, I'll, he goes back with his mom and dad, apparently stays for a long time. But then we also know that Jesus will say later, the foxes have their holes, the birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus seems to have a pretty ambiguous relationship with the whole question of home. So much of even writing this book for me has come out of my own quest, my own longing to just want to feel at home. I've had places in my life where I felt at home. I have parents. I'm an only child, which I'm sure explains a lot of things. I have parents who love me. I have fond memories of my home, but I'm also a long way from where I came from. I've also moved kind of a lot in my adult life and compiled a bunch of pictures of me with U-Haul trucks with kind of a forced, awkward smile, trying to act cool when, when, uh, where am I going, why am I doing this exactly? That sense of home sometimes has been elusive to me. I have people that I really, really love in Oklahoma. And I'm about to get married. It's very exciting. I have people that make me feel very home. But I don't feel connected to the land there. It's not like it's not home in that way. So trying to find that sense of like, well, where is home exactly? How do you go back home? When I go to see my parents now, they, a couple years ago, they're in their mid-70s. Like a lot of folks do at that stage of life, they downsized a bit, got into something, one story, a little more simple. And I love being with them. They always feel like home to me, but that house is not a house I grew up in. I don't have history with it. One of the last times I was there, I was looking through old pictures of myself, preaching to a yardstick when I was three years old, playing with GI Joes, trying to find traces of the me that I am now, and figure out something of how I got from there to here. Where is home? I mean, that's a, that's a profound question. It's a heavy question, trying to figure out exactly where it is that we belong. And I really think there's this idea in the Emmaus Road story, that disciples in a very real sense are walking between two homes. And that there's much within this story that gives us the resources to know how to navigate kind of between houses in the same way that Jesus you know, didn't go back home with his parents, but then said, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? He had to leave one home to get to a sense of another. I'm saying a lot of things I haven't said before, so you know how to think, feel about them. Well, fine. I've not thought them before this weekend. But this feels, this feels very right. This feels like it's going somewhere. Let me say like this. As much, because this is in the book, this idea of between two homes. But I feel like I want to say something a little more than just the idea of like being between here and glory. Like we're between here and heaven. Or something like that. Because I just think there's, there's more happening than that. And there's a little bit more of a a displacement that's happening with that. Um, I'll say more about that in a second. I think there are ways that we actually can come back home. I mean, just like the disciples, you know, going back to their theological home, they go back to Jerusalem. So I think they come full circle. But you know, in any of our stories, I think there's a big difference between coming full circle and going back. Like you can come full circle, but you never get to go back. Does that make sense? There is no going back. You're not getting back into a time machine. I wish sometimes I could go back and play my you know, Atari 2 and like at the days of those days of innocence and wonder. There's no going back. But there is a way of coming, of coming full circle. But the disciples go back to Jerusalem as very different people than the ones who left there to begin with. They had an experience that, that changed them They've now bonded, as they did on the road, from their shared pain, which I see happen a lot on the internet right now. People bond over shared pain in ways that are beautiful. People used to bond in bars. Now they bond over shared pain. Now they bond on the internet. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And yet, in order for their new community to be established and be sustained, it couldn't just be built on shared pain and trauma. It would also going to have to be built on shared joy. And they found a way to share this new joy that became a new community. So I'm, I just, I'm just thinking a lot about what does it mean trying to navigate between these two homes and what are the, what, 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 kind of are these places? You know, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to land within the next couple of minutes here, but work with me. So I feel like Brian, and I don't, I don't know how you'll feel about this. We, we say a lot of the same things. Um, I mean, we, we, that's one of the things I love about talking with Brian and Perry. I don't have to talk in disclaimers. I just don't have to make disclaimers. We just we say a lot of the same things. And so, one of the things I think sometimes people might hear us say that I don't feel like is what we're saying, or uh, I know it's not what I'm saying. You know, we've critiqued plenty of times this notion of Christianity as, you know, buy a ticket to get to heaven when you die. And I know sometimes when people hear that in a way that sounds like, oh man. Why are you hating on heaven? Why are you not into heaven? Why, are you, what are you, why do you have it out for heaven? So you mean like grandma's not with Jesus? Grandma's not in like bliss? I'm not saying grandma's not in bliss with Jesus. I am not a heaven hater. Decisively, I love, love, love that promise of Paul's that to be absent with the body is to be present with God. I believe that when people are, are departed, like there is a way that they are consciously loved and soothed in the presence of, of God, I mean, I think one of the things we care a lot about are this idea that, you know, um, the story really is, like Isaiah talks about. The time will come when the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth the way the waters cover the sea. Or in Revelation, there's no distinction between the new heaven and the new earth. It's just, you know, it's the glory of God covers all. And, and now um, the earth has been restored. So the idea is not like dogging on heaven, the... The problem more, I think, is the idea that the real home is way off somewhere. Good old gospel ship sailing through the air. That's not really that old of a song. And those lyrics are pretty bad. Like this idea of like, I don't think that's the point. It's like going off somewhere. But man, can you, can you hear this in a different way? if you're feeling displaced, if you're feeling disoriented, if you're struggling to find this sense of home for yourself, can you hear Jesus when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And what is it that, what is it that Jesus says? We've heard, it, we've heard it over and over again at funerals. In my Father's house are many rooms. Sorry, in Greek it actually isn't mentions, but if you need a bigger room, that's fine. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have, would I have told you? I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus says in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And the further I go, the more that my sense is that there's no way that these many rooms are about going off somewhere. All right. Just give me a couple more minutes. I just wanna paint a quick contrast for you. So here we go. One scenario is, and this is where this story often more or less goes. One version of the story is, so Jesus dies on the cross, he's resurrected from the dead, he ascends, now all of a sudden he's in glory sick and tired of, these, of this bloodstained robe, but it's time to get to work. Gabriel, give me the overalls. And so now Jesus begins constructing this new place for us. And you have to imagine that this is a big job because before, presumably, it's very small. I mean, it's just been the three of them for all this time. But now Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He's gone to prepare a giant mansion in the sky. And um, in this scenario, I always feel kind of bad for Jesus because he, of course, is the only person within the Trinity with actual carpentry experience. So you have to think <laughs> that this is really difficult labor. But Jesus like gets going on the house, and the whole point is that this becomes like This is going to be the ultimate place. We want everybody to go to the ultimate place. What do you get for the man who has everything, but also has rot in his soul? Well, you may have been to the Himalayas. You may have been to Maui, but you've never been to both at the same time. That's what heaven will be like. And you can have a ticket to get there. And when you get there, we all come in, see it, look around. Jesus, this is amazing. Who's the architect? And Jesus is like, and then we roll in for like the, the ultimate buffet. It's the ultimate house. So it's got the ultimate buffet. We had a great CCM song when I was growing up. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big yard where we can play football. So then of course you're going to have the ultimate buffet. So you sit down at the ultimate buffet and it's like, there's, you know, but it's not like a golden corral buffet. It's like, there's, there's, filet mignon, but there's also like Thai food, and there's like and there's, and there's shrimp, and there's tiramisu, and whatever your favorite desserts are, and you just start piling it on. You just start piling it on. Like everything you think of. You just start piling it on your plate. This super like decadent wine, and then you you know, you've got like an entire plate of these really exquisite kind of gamey foods, that you don't even know what it is. So you ask the angel, like, what is this? That's the endangered species platter, sir. For a moment, you feel bad about this, but then you smile because you remember, nothing's endangered here. So you just keep eating. And you think, how could I even pay for this? But later on, you see like a giant bill on the table. It goes on for days. And you look down, and sure enough, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid. Jesus paid it all. And you've, you're in the ultimate house. You've had the ultimate buffet. And if heaven is like place in this way, and if the idea is like Jesus always having to build it. I mean, I used to have this idea that like, every time that some Baptist youth group went on a mission trip and put on puppet shows, people make some kind of decision like, oh man, Jesus is gonna have to add a whole nother wing because of this trip. I always imagine Jesus like, was like sighing like, well, I guess it's not spring break for me because <laughs> Jesus has to build a whole another wing to expand. Like that's heaven as, as place like that. That's one version. But isn't it something else entirely? Isn't it something way more beautiful if what Jesus is talking about is something more like this? That when he says that he's going away, that what he's talking about is going to the cross and what he means is that he's going to take every ounce of disorientation, alienation, shame that you've ever felt in your life and he's going to absorb all of that so that now wherever you go, wherever you are, even though on this side, there's never gonna be a place of fully arriving and even though there's always gonna be a kind of homesickness and even though there's a way that there's always an ache that's there, There's also a real way that home is inside of us. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. What if what it means is Jesus said, I'm going to the cross so that I will experience all of your displacements so that you can have a place wherever you are and you can be the kind of person that wherever you go and whatever you're doing, you're making a place for everybody else where they also can feel at home. And I am done. I've said an awful lot of things to say one simple thing. If you feel displaced and you feel alienated and you feel exiled and you feel like you're between two homes and you're not quite sure how to resolve all this. I just feel like I need to tell somebody this morning, you're not doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. This is how you're supposed to feel. This is what it's like, because in many ways we're between two homes, and yet there's another real way in which home has come to be inside of us, and we're learning how to live as people in whom the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the glory of God is dwelling now. We're learning how to have a place within us where everything is welcome, and to become the kinds of people where people that know us know that all of them is welcome when they're in our presence too. Stand with me if you would. Before I hand it over to Pastor Brian to come to this table, for the moment of recognition, the moment where our eyes are opened, the moment where we get to have this revelation of Christ in the breaking of the bread. I want to take just a moment to pray over you. For those of you who are here, for those of you who are experiencing this online, my heart's just heavy, specifically this morning, for people who are experiencing something of this, of this ache. For people who are experiencing something of and I feel like this is a funny thing to say because I don't claim to know everything there is to know about St. Joseph for people who are here, but isn't it funny how even if you live in the same place for a really long time, the world is changing and shifting so much. It's disorienting in this sense of like, where, where do I belong? That sense of like dizziness that you almost carry with you. I just really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to to minister to that this morning. So would you pray with me? God, I just ask right now for each of your sons and daughters who are watching and listening, I pray specifically because there's not a single one of us who aren't a product of a yearning for home. There's not a single one of us who doesn't feel the ache or the restlessness. And sometimes that means we're always... Do we treat it like it's something to fix? God, I pray for the grace this morning to stop looking for the home outside. And we welcome you again, Holy Spirit, to make your home inside of us. Where even now there's a way that you're making all things right. Where even now there's a way that all things can be settled even this meal that we're about to partake of, a foretaste of the final meal, in which everything that is jagged will one day be fully reconciled. So we ask God, as people who are fragmented in so many ways, would you gather us as we come to the table now? And I pray that, in, that instead of continuing to look that you would give us a revelation this morning that your table is our home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you,
1: Jonathan. And so, yeah, we're coming to the table. We're coming home. Those those Emmaus Road disciples, you know, they, they rushed back seven miles. It's night now doesn't matter. And they get back to tell the rest what had happened. And they're telling their excited story. And they said he was made known to us in the breaking of bread. And so we're going to invite you to come. Everyone, everyone, everyone's invited to come. Everyone to come home. To know Jesus in the bread, in the cup. You'll come and someone will say, the body of Christ broken for you. It is. Take a piece of that bread. Someone will have a cup and they'll say, the blood of Jesus shed for you. It is. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and know that you're home. And that your sins are forgiven. Let's prepare our hearts now by first confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, let's just be very honest before the Lord, confess our sins, and receive forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone, In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.